0: There's a story about two gas company employees. One of them was a, had been there for many years at the company. He was sort of a trainer. He would take uh, young people out, young trainees, and, and show them the ropes. And, and one day he decided to do this with a young man who had been brand new to the company. Didn't really know what was going on. So he, they got the, the company van and they headed out to a suburban neighborhood and parked the street at the end of the street and began to make their way down the, the, the block, house by house, checking the gas meters, showing them how to do it, what to write down, that sort of thing. Well, they made their way through and things were going fine. They got to the last house on the block. And um, as they started to, to check, at the, to go into the yard to check the gas meter, they noticed that the woman of the home uh, was staying in the door, doorway watching him. It wasn't really unusual. I mean, people would often kind of check to make sure nothing fishy was going on. And so they went about their business. And when they got done checking the gas meter, uh, the, 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 the trainer, the supervisor, who was about 20 years older than the, the, the trainee, thought he had a little fun with him and said, I'll, I'll race you back to the truck. Uh, I bet you I can beat you. So they took off running as fast as they could, full out, arms churning, uh, gasping for air, almost to the truck when they noticed they heard something behind them. It was a it was the woman. The woman from the house was chasing them and running as fast as she could as well. And so they were kind of worried, thought maybe something was wrong. So they stopped and they asked her, is everything all right? And she said, well, when I see two gas men running full speed away from my house, I figure I better run too. On that first Easter, in the first part of John chapter 20, we find there are also three people, two men and a woman, who are running full speed. And but the difference in the story is that all three of them are running because they're afraid. They're confused, they're bewildered, uh, they're upset. They, the man that they had loved and served and followed for many years, for three years, was dead. They'd seen him crucified. They'd seen him laid in the tomb. They'd seen this huge stone put in front of it. They'd also seen a guard placed in front of the tomb. And now they get news that the stone is rolled away, that the body is gone, and somebody apparently has stolen Jesus' body. Let's take a listen now as as it's described in John 20, the first nine verses the verses right before the verses that Melissa read this morning Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved and we know from later reading that that is John the one whom Jesus loved had a special relationship and said they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So the Scripture, the story tells us that the other disciple and, and Peter, they get to the tomb and they see it's empty. It's just as Mary has reported it. They see the empty tomb. They see the grave closed. And it says that that he believed. Now, what exactly did did, did Peter believe that Jesus was risen from the dead? Well, no, not yet. Uh, they had just, he believed simply that what Mary had told them, that the tomb was empty, that Jesus had been stolen, his body had been stolen by somebody, was apparently true. And, and so he, John and Peter, they turn back and they begin to make their way back to town, back to home, no doubt sad, upset, and worried about what was happening to Jesus' body. Jesus' body is gone, and, and apparently so is their hope. Hope. Easter really is all about hope, isn't it, when we think about it? We celebrate it for a variety of reasons. Family tradition, our belief in Christ, maybe somebody makes us come to church. But we, we celebrate Easter because it's about hope. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you, um, where you ran out of hope, where you lost hope? Maybe you start out with high hopes for a stage of your life, about your, your education, or maybe uh, an athletic season, or a music competition, or your marriage or your relationship with your kids, your business, your financial situation, your golden years. And things they just don't turn out the way that you had hoped, the way you'd expected. You know Life has a way of throwing us curves, doesn't it? We're surprised at every turn. Plans fall apart. People disappoint us. Sometimes we disappoint ourselves, don't we? And suddenly the life that we're living isn't the life we dreamed of at all, and we find ourselves in a place that we never expected to be. Like Fantine. Maybe you recognize her name, Fantine. The young woman from Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables. And in the musical version, she sings this powerful song as she finds herself in a hopeless place. Remember the story she uh, She's had a summer lover, and he's left her alone with a child, so she finds work in a factory to provide for her child, Cassette, who is being taken care of by some cruel and crooked innkeepers. When her bosses find out that she had Cassette out of wedlock, she's thrown out of the factory. She loses her job, and now she's in the streets. Nowhere to go, no way to provide for her, her daughter. She's forced to sell her hair and then she sells her teeth and then finally she sells her body. She's falsely accused of a crime and placed under arrest. And on top of all this, she's desperately ill. And out of that dark place, she sings, I dreamed a dream and days gone by. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. Well, happy Easter to you too, Doug. <laughs> kind of a strange way to start a sermon isn't on the Easter talking about disappointment and hopelessness. Uh, But we all have the experience. We know what it is to have a dream and to not see it realized. When we're kids, we have childish fantasies of being an astronaut or being a professional athlete or a famous singer for the vast, vast, vast majority of people that those dreams will never come true. But we all know what it is to have an expectation of something to happen in our life, a relationship, a job, and it doesn't pan out. And we're disappointed and we lose hope. That's where Easter begins, really. Easter begins with a woman who has no hope. Mary is found at the grave and she's, she's weeping. So let's begin our journey there, in that dark place, and see if scripture will take us to a place of, 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 of hope and of joy and of celebration. So the question we're asking this Easter is where do you and I, where do we find hope in our lives? Well, as you probably know, there are four Gospels in the Bible. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and Matthew, Mark and Luke. They all they all all of them and John all record the account of Jesus' resurrection. Um, but there's a few differences. Matthew, Mark and Luke tell us what happened. John does as well. But John also teaches us how to live in light of what happened on that first Easter Sunday morning. And so we come to the story. John and Peter have gone home. Mary is left alone at the open tomb. It's it's yawning emptiness, staring her in the face. And she does the only thing that's left to do, which is she begins to cry. She weeps. Now, who exactly is Mary Magdalene? There's all kinds of legends and stories about her Um, in the in the eighth century. A a legend arose in in the church that that she was the prostitute in Luke seven who anointed Jesus with her tears. But there really is no biblical support for that. In the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, Mary Magdalene is portrayed as this sensuous woman who's torn between between two conflicting emotions and poles, torn between religious devotion to Jesus as her Lord and Savior and, and between romantic attraction toward him. And she sings, I don't know how to love him. According to the Da Vinci Code, the popular novel and movie, Mary became Jesus wife, the mother of his child and the leader of the church after his death. None of these portrayals of Mary Magdalene have any historical or biblical support. What we are told in the Bible is that Mary Magdalene was one of several women who became followers of Christ and who supported him in his ministry. We're also told that she was delivered from seven demons. And we don't know what that looked like in her life, in her case. But from other accounts of, of demon possession in the Bible, a person could cut themselves, throw themselves into fire, lose control of their themselves and their behavior and their emotions. And so people like that would have been locked up, thought crazy, turned out in the streets. They would have been a pariah or an outcast. So, whatever her past had been, and however it had been manifested in life, it had been a tough life before Jesus showed up on the scene. And with a single word, he delivered her from these dark forces, and she found life again and hope and joy, a life centered on Jesus. And now he's gone. He's gone. And she must have thought, what next? What now? Will the demons come back? What does my future hold without Jesus? Her hope was gone. What is hope anyway? Is it wishful thinking or naive optimism? We say things like, hope it doesn't rain today. Or, hope it does rain today. We say things like, Hope my team wins. Hope the economy bounces back. Hope the sermon doesn't go too long. That's wishful thinking, by the way. (laughs) Emily Dickinson, the poet, tells us that hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. Whatever that means. English professors, teachers, they can tell us what that means later. The dictionary tells us that hope is a desire with the expectation of fulfillment. So hope begins with this desire for something good to happen. But then it adds this, this, this expectation, this element of expectation of, a, of this is going to happen. It's more than a wish, because wishes tend not to come true, contrary to what Disney tells us. When we wish for something to happen, we want it to happen. But when we, when we hope for something to happen, we're counting on it. We're emotionally, we're emotionally invested. We believe it's going to happen. But hope is more than just a word. Hope is to the spirit what oxygen is to the body. Without hope, we die. I mean, think about an athletic competition. When a team loses hope, you just as well stop the clock, and get off the field, get off the court, the game's over. When investors lose hope, the stock market crumbles. When a patient loses hope, death is all but crouching at the door. Viktor Frankl, a a Jewish psychiatrist and philosopher, survived years in the Nazi concentration camps, and he noticed something interesting. More more prisoners than normal seemed to die after Christmas. And he figured out that they were hoping that they'd be free by then, and when they weren't, their hopes were not realized, They, they gave up. He learned that as long as prisoners had something to live for, a reason to press on, they could endure just about anything. But once they lost hope, it was all over. The Russian writer Dostoevsky said that to live without hope is to cease to live. So we quoted Frankel, Dostoevsky, and now that third great thinker, Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight, of course, you might remember, is, was the coach of the Indiana Hoosiers, won three national championships. Um, He also boasted one of the highest graduation rates for his players, never accused of cheating. But he was an interesting person because he was also famous for throwing chairs and throwing tantrums and, and chewing out officials and players and fans and media, anybody in his vicinity. And he wrote a book a few years back called The Power of Negative Thinking. And according to Bobby Knight, Hope is the worst word in the English language. He says it's foolish and lazy to tell yourself that things are going to be all right. He says they'll only be all right if somebody steps up and does something about it. Now, whatever you think about Bobby Knight, I think he's on to something. Hope needs a reason to not just simply be a wish or a want to. Hope needs a reason, something or someone that can change the trajectory of a person's life or situation or their circumstances that can get us can get them to a better place without without a reason. Hope is just wishful thinking. It's just wanting something with no reason or basis. All of which is to say that Mary Magdalene had no reason for hope on that first Easter. She showed up expecting nothing more than a corpse badly needed of spices. She found an empty tomb. As far as she was concerned, it was over. The empty tomb did not speak to her of resurrection. It spoke to her of death and hopelessness. And so she did what we all do at a fresh grave. She wept until until she sensed that there was somebody standing near her. And she turned to see who and then asked that someone a question. And the person responds to her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Now, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus' first words after he's resurrected come in the, the form or the shape of a question. Because if you follow his life through the Gospels, the Gospel accounts of him, more often than not, when he met somebody or met a group of people, he would ask them something. Why do you fear? Why do you lack faith? Why do you, you, whatever it might be. What are you hoping for? What are you looking for? Who do you think I am? So on and so forth. He generally would ask some sort of question. He would meet them where they were. He He would listen to them. He would try to understand them. And then he would share with them hope. And it turns out that we don't share hope by hitting people over the head with it. Notice that Jesus doesn't say Mary to Mary. Ta-da! It's me, Jesus. He doesn't say, stop crying, woman. It's going to be fine. He doesn't scold her for her lack of faith. He meets her where she is. There's a lesson there for those of us who want to share hope with people, and that is don't rush to good news. When somebody's hurting or discouraged or grieving, they don't need happy talk and they certainly don't need religious cliches. Like, everything happens for a reason. They're in, it for, they're in a better place. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And there can be some truth in those things, but there's a time and place. Grief is real. Loss is painful. Unemployment stinks. Relationships can break our hearts. And so if somebody in our world is hurting, if we want to share hope with them, the best thing that we can do probably is to take, follow Jesus' example. Meet them in a moment. Ask them what they're looking for, what they're needing. And then sit there And then listen. Now, the empty tomb and the angel's announcement that Mary experienced earlier, they weren't enough for her. They weren't enough for her to regain hope, and they weren't enough to convince her. She needed something more personal than that. She needed a real encounter with Jesus Christ. And and we do, too, don't we? we? We need... Evidence, certainly, and there's plenty of it regarding the resurrection, the empty tomb, written records, both biblical and non-biblical, the transformation of the disciples from scared, afraid people to powerful leaders who, who served and gave their lives to others in the face of all sorts of threats and persecution. The emergence of a brand new faith, millions and millions of lives around the world changed throughout history. The changed lives of people that perhaps you know. But we also need something personal, something, something experiential. We need an encounter with the risen Christ. We need to meet him and know him personally, one-on-one. And that's what the Lord offered Mary there at the tomb. More real and more powerful and more glorious than she had ever known him to be. And because of that, she had hope. Jesus had proven that he was stronger than death that he was stronger than evil, that he was stronger than all the bad things that can happen in this world. And so when Mary needed hope, Jesus offered himself. You see, hope is not a what or a when or a why. Hope really is a who. Bobby Knight is right. Things don't get better just because we want them to be. They get better because somebody does something about it. Hope is always embodied in a person. Shareholders hope the new CEO will will turn the company around. Citizens hope that a, a new mayor or a new governor, a new president or whatever will help turn their country, or their state, their city around. Every sports fans of a struggling team hope a new coach, a new manager, a new recruit, a new free agent can lift their team out of the doldrums. Hope is a who. Somebody wise enough, strong enough, good enough to get us to a better place. And Jesus Christ, I tell you on this Easter, is that someone. And his resurrection proves that he is stronger than any setback, any disappointment, any failure, any evil, any love, lack of love, any loss, any disappointment that comes our way in life. Hope. That's what we celebrate on Easter. Hope is the confidence that God will and can do something good in this life and certainly in the next. So whatever you're experiencing this morning, whatever you're dealing with, God can do something good with it or in it. Which doesn't mean that we minimize the pain or the loss or the evil of it. It simply means the story isn't over yet. God can and will meet you in that place, in that moment as surely as he met Mary in her dark place. Easter is about hope. Now, we left poor Fantine dying in the streets at the beginning of the message. And, and if you know anything about Victor Hugo, he wrote Les Miserables because he wanted to expose what he called the three great evils of his time. Poverty, the exploitation of women and children, and spiritual darkness. And he pulls no punches in his story and Fantine ends up dying of her illness, just like many people do in the real world. But somebody is there. Jean Valjean takes Cassette into, the arms, into his arms and he protects her and he raises her. And later on in the end of his life, he, he gives her over to a fine young man who becomes her husband. And as Valjean dies at the end of a long and good life, Fantine's spirit returns to usher him into heaven. And the musical ends in a great reunion of all the characters singing about a new and better day. They sing, will you join in our crusade? Will you be strong and stand with me? There's a future about to start when tomorrow comes. A song of hope. Now, Victor Hugo had a hard time with the church of his day, but he believed in God. And that gave him reason to believe that good would triumph over evil, that injustice would be righted, and that there was a life and a love for all who believed in Christ beyond the grave. And his powerful story has inspired millions of people over the years. But there is a much, much greater story. The greatest story that's ever been told that we celebrate today. That the God who created the universe, that put all things into motion and being, the God who's greater than any other being, or that he's not been created, he's eternal, that that God loved us so much that he sent his son, and that his son gave his life for us, and that an amazing, incredible God raised his son from the dead, and has redeemed us. He's purchased us back from death and from Satan and from sin. And because of that, we have hope. We have hope. Paul says, "If we do not have the truth of the resurrection, we are the, the most pitiful of all people. But if the resurrection is true and real of all people, we have the most reason to be hopeful. God will and can do something good in this life and the life to come. Put your trust in Christ and find your hope in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son Jesus and what we celebrate this Easter. We thank You that He not only died for our sins and redeemed us from from our sins and set us free from death and from Satan's power, but, but that Christ is also risen from the dead. We thank You that we have hope because of him. That we have hope not only for this life when we struggle when we have doubts when we're in pain when we experience loss or disappointment but we also have hope for the next life. So Lord we celebrate Jesus Christ today. We celebrate him. We thank you for him. We offer ourselves to him. May your spirit be at work in us that each person would encounter Jesus in a real In a real way. That Easter would not just be words on a page, words from a preacher, words in a song or a prayer. But Easter would be personal and real to us. We thank you, Father. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.